This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Recently there was a study done at Harvard And it asks the question whether rich people are happier than poor people. And it asks the question, well, if people were not wealthy and then won the lottery, are they happier? Even during that brief amount of time, they get to keep their money. So there was a study, and basically, however you can determine happiness and joy, they discovered that whatever level of joy and happiness you had here that no matter what money you got here, you had the same measure of happiness and joy. Basically, if you're a miserable person, you're going to be miserable with a lot of money in the bank. And you might go, well, that sounds better to me. But the idea here is that upon the study is that whatever level of joy, happiness, and contentment you had at one financial level, you're going to have the same if that financial level increases. 
and they coined a term for that. It's called hedonic adaption. So think of hedonism, hedonic. So what that means is if you get a lot of money, you're just going to adapt. It's just going to, there'll just be more things to clean. The house is going to be bigger, but you're basically going to be happy at the same level, no matter how much wealth you have. And I know some of us would go, I'd really love to give it a shot. I'd really love to be happier. Well, I think I'd be different. But the principle is who you are is going to be who you are, no matter what your socioeconomic status is. So fortunately, the study went on to say, well then, what actually produces happiness and joy? So this, there's nothing Christian about this. There's nothing spiritual about it. They wanted to come up like, what are the attributes that actually bring joy in a person's life? And this study came up with four. These are the four things that they felt like in a worldly sense is going to make all of us happy. You ready? So here, it's not, up on the, it's not up on the screen. I'll give it to you. First of all, one is healthy family and friends, healthy relationships with family and friends. If you have healthy relationships with the people closest to you, you're going to be joyful. That makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? Because anytime you're in conflict with the people most close to you, you're typically miserable. And so they said, you know what? If you have healthy relationship with family and friends, you're going to be joyful. I'm going to agree with that one pretty much. If you're getting along with the people you love, you're probably going to be happy and joyful. Number two, believe it or not, Harvard said forgiveness. Not the people who are, the people who can extend forgiveness to others are the happiest people on the face of the planet. And I thought, okay, all of a sudden Harvard's gone to church. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because guess what? If you're not forgiving people, what are you doing? You're carrying around grudges, animosity, bitterness. Everywhere you look, you look to be wrong. They wronged me. They did this. I can't believe they did this. But if you can extend forgiveness to people, then you're probably joyful. Three, giving. It's like they're preaching my message for me. People who give are happy and joyful. People who, and what, that, what does that mean? That means, well, you're not selfish. It means you're willing to sacrifice for others. You see an intrinsic value in making other people better. Thank you, Harvard. Fourth one, Wi-Fi. That's a joke. No, Wi-Fi is not the fourth. See, you guys are, I'm trying to wake you guys up. It's not Wi-Fi. Fourth one, gratitude. People who are thankful. Again, they are preaching my message. If you're thankful, you have a heart of gratitude, you're going to be happy and joyful. The world just said that the best way for you to be happy is to have a healthy relationship with family, to forgive others, to give, and to have a heart of thanks. Immensely biblical. Now, what that is, in a spiritual, biblical sense, is following the leadership of Jesus in your life. Following the leadership of Jesus in your life. You might say, Gordon, I don't think Jesus had the greatest relationships with his siblings and his family. You know what? He did. Because he was a true speaker, and he did every bit of it by love. And if you look at the legacy of his family in the New Testament, he had an immensely healthy relationship with his family. Did Jesus forgive? Supremely, he forgave. Did he give to the extent that he gave his life? Was he thankful? Always. And for us to follow the leadership of Jesus in our lives, in those manners, is going to transform you. In fact, I would offer that today, if you don't have joy, 
if you're not happy, there's probably one of those areas that's lacking. If you woke up this morning still mad at the person you were mad with yesterday, you probably don't have any joy this morning. If you woke up this morning selfish, you're probably not happy this morning. If you woke up this morning and you're not thankful, you're probably not happy. Now, here's the better question. How do you get those things? How do you follow the leadership of Jesus in these things? How does that happen? And I'm going to offer the most preacher answer you can get, but it's biblical. Right here. Right here. Of course, I want you to study your Bible, and I want you to pray, and I want you to have devotions, and I want you to have discipline. But it's God's purposes to use this awkward, odd group of people to bring those things and enable them in your life. Ephesians 3.10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose realized in Christ Jesus. God's forever plan was that God would use the church for us to be more like Jesus and to proclaim Jesus. That's been God's forever plan. And so when we sit in this room that's probably a good 80-some degrees right now, and it's not beautiful, it's not fancy, we don't have every program in the world, I look at it and I say, this group is beautiful. Because God has designed to use you to make each other more like Christ. So here's our big idea, friends. Whose leadership are you following, or what's the flow of redemptive leadership? This morning, if you're struggling with poor relationships, if you're struggling with not being able to be thankful, if you can't forgive, if those you've got to ask yourself, well, then whose leadership are you following? It might not be Jesus. We're going to pursue these three points, my friends. I want you to start from zero. I want you to move towards abundance, and I want you to abound in grace. That's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to briefly cover the first two because we looked at those last week, and I want to make sure we understand it, and then we're really going to sit down on that last point, okay? Now, what does it mean to start from zero? What I want you to understand is that as we move towards following Jesus, we start with nothing. We don't start with anything in which Jesus can use except what he's already given you. Listen, you've got wonderful talents, you've got wonderful gifts, you've got wonderful skills, God's going to use them. But we start knowing that we don't have a goodness, we can't obey enough. What we have is, according to these verses, let's pull up that starts from zero. What we have is the sin of Adam. Let me give you some theology to work with, okay? What these verses say is that sin came into the world through one man. I want you to think of it this way. It's not like you were all here and then Adam made you sinful. As the way it works is this room is empty, Adam sinned, and then you all showed up just like him. That's the way it works. Is that because Adam sinned, we were born sinful. We were born in need. We inherited the trespass. We inherited the death of Adam. And that could be immensely discouraging, immensely pessimistic, unless we recognize that that's the place of humility that we all must start. How many of you this week looked at a situation, looked at a circumstance, and you thought, I am incapable of doing this? How many of you at any point in time this week thought, I'm just done. I don't have anything left for you or this situation. 
How many of you this week thought, I would really love to have this, but I'm never going to have it? That is actually the posture that we should have before God. God, I don't have any means of being a faithful husband, wife. I don't feel like I have enough gifts to do this. Father, I don't feel like I have enough talent to do it. And then we start with that, and that's the place where we say, you know what, Father, I've got zero unless you give it to me. So what I want to do is engender in all of you an attitude and a posture of hope. Because what God actually wants to do is to use that place of humility and misery and discouragement and let you know that's where we start. Uh, How many of you ever read a devotional called uh, My Utmost for His Highest? Have you ever heard that? It's a classic devotional by Oswald Chambers. It's really good if you haven't read it. Uh, It's uh, broken up into 365 devotions, and and you can read it uh, in a potty break. It's really easy to read, okay? Somewhere around August, I forget, there's one called The Brave Comradeship of God. The Brave Friendship of God. And in that devotion, it says, God, I don't know what you could ever do with me. I don't have any extra gifts. I don't have any talents. I'm not super special. And then in that devotion, it says, and that's exactly where you start in service with God. We don't show up with God and say, be impressed with my resume, use me. We show up before God and say, I am utterly dependent and hopeless unless you help me. And that is the posture of faith. So friends, that's all I'm going to say. We talked about starting from zero. Uh, This is a review from last week. But friends, you've got to be encouraged. Your place of discouragement and need is the place where God works. Let's look about moving towards abundance. Verse 15, the free grace, the free gift is not like the trespass. What Jesus has did is different than what Adam did. If many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the control, excuse me, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The difference Adam sinned, we all died. Jesus dies, we all live. Grab that. Adam sinned, we all die. Jesus dies, we all live. Now here's where it gets good, verse 17. For if, because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. Okay, look at that. Adam died, death reigned. Jesus dies, you reign. Adam died, sin reigned. Jesus died, you reign. You are reigning. Look at that. Because of the uh, receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus. You are reigning because of what Jesus has done. You are raining. You may say, that doesn't feel like anything I've experienced this week. Let me tell you a story. In 1999, the Wayback Machine for a couple of you, there was a church planted in Raleigh, North Carolina called Christ Our Comfort. Christ Our Comfort, a great name for a church. Christ Our Comfort had an amazing mercy ministry. It's planted right in the middle of downtown Raleigh. Right in the most difficult portion, it was the nexus of NC State University and every social and cultural need you can imagine. Blossomed. 
200 plus people, all of a sudden, they are serving those who are hungry. They're feeding people. They're clothing people. The ministry was amazing. It was tiring. It was difficult. And it was draining. Yesterday, our small group uh, uh, fed at the Brisbane Center. And in that one hour, you can see just a glimpse of the need of the people in front of you. Christ our comfort, that was there. Face to the community. People were getting saved and transformed, and the core group of leaders were getting exhausted. Well, as the ministry continued on, people were getting blessed, and the leadership and the people were getting more tired. Somewhere around 2005, the church is six years old, the leadership said, can't do it anymore. The pastor and the elders resigned. We just can't do it. Thirteen people were left in that church. Thirteen people. Two hundred to thirteen. Just wiped out. There was one guy in that church that said, I'm not letting this church close. Love that guy. He's a super faithful man. So that thirteen huddled together. Now somewhere along that time, I was planting Sovereign King and Amy and the girls who moved to Garner. And so those 12 people said, hey, why don't you grab your 10, we'll grab our 12, and we're going to huddle together to get started. So all of a sudden, boom, the church has doubled in size, right? So we're hanging together, barely pulling together a ministry. Barely pulling together a ministry. Over the course of time, our church was able to launch out in Garner, North Carolina. Christ our comfort became... Christ our hope, and today has over 400 people in it doing amazing ministry. Now, here's a couple, here's a couple of things you don't know about those two churches. A young man named Jacob Hall showed up at Christ our Comfort. Rumor has it we might have been on a music team one time before we knew each other. I don't know. Another man named Matt Calhoun showed up at the church in Garner. That church is flourishing in Raleigh. We're here. Other churches have been planted from it. But what happened is they got down to nothing. They got down to barely holding hands on a Sunday. And you would imagine that what could God do here? And God has done immense, amazing things. Now let me brush over towards us briefly. We're not in that situation. We've been bigger before, there's no doubt about that. We definitely have had larger services and more people sitting in the chairs. And there's probably good measure of fatigue going on. I know you guys are serving hard, working hard in nursery, stacking chairs. I'm tired. I get it. We're tired. But there was nothing in and of that church or even us to make us look glamorous in any way. You couldn't look at them or us and go, out of the seeds of that, I see immense revival happening. But God did it, does it, and will do it again. What I would call us to do in the midst of our circumstance, similar to that one, is that we start from zero with absolutely nothing. We don't offer God anything impressive personally or even corporately. But what we have is the free gift and the righteousness of Jesus reigning in our lives and enabling you to reign in a proclamation of the free gift of Jesus. What you have to one another 
is the immense and deep work of Jesus Christ to enable you to forgive, the deep and personal work of Jesus to enable you to have hope, the deep and wonderful work of Jesus to enable you to take one more step instead of stopping. You see, when we think of reigning, we think of just victorious, giant things. It's not what we're talking, we're not talking about an earthly reigning at all. We don't have a physical picture of it in any way. But what we have is the spiritual perseverance of the Holy Spirit in your life, applying more and more of the gospel of Jesus to keep you from stopping. Every one of us has been tempted to stop somewhere. Stop in a relationship, to give up on trying to be godly in some area of our life, to give up on serving here, because we're tempted to listen to our fatigue more than we are to believe in the reigning grace of Jesus Christ in our life. And brothers and sisters, I say, I get it. I do. But these are the promises that we have got to begin to believe. That the grace of Jesus Christ reigns in our life. There's an abundance, an abounding measure of grace and forgiveness for you and for me. Let's talk about that abounding grace. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, that was Adam's, led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that's the death and resurrection of Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. You're now sitting under the repaired relationship and the life that you have with God because of Jesus. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Who remembers the definition of righteous? We're going to do it right in the eyes of God. When we get done with Romans, it's going to be the one thing you remember, and that'll be fine. Righteous means right in the eyes of God. Anything that's right in God's eyes is righteous. So by the one act of Jesus, you have been made right in the eyes of God. Right in the eyes of God. No matter your manner of guilt or struggle or sin or shame today. When you have faith in Jesus, you are right in his eyes. Verse 20. The law came to increase the trespass. A confusing verse. God didn't give the law so you could sin more. He gave the law so people could be aware of their sin. So the law came. The, obedience, the, the commands of God came so we can go, Oh, I recognize how badly I need Jesus. But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. All right, so you're in a situation. You know your sin. No one else knows it. This is that stuff in your head and your mind. Or it's the secret action that you got going on no one's aware of, okay? Everyone's in that situation. And when you're doing something that you know is sinful or that you're hiding or it's complete, when you're doing that, what you're telling yourself is, I'm a terrible person. There's no hope for me. If this was ever discovered, I would not be loved. Does everyone understand that? You do, right? You have those moments where you're completely in your mind about your sin. What does that verse say? When sin abounded, when you were in that situation, what happened? Grace abounded all the more. So when you're presently struggling with that inward sin, that thought, that thing that you're like, I'm afraid, I don't want my parents to find out, or I don't want my spouse to find out. If anyone knew how mean I was in my head, no one would love me. As that sin increases, you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, there's no hope for me. And that verse says, don't worry. As that sin increases, grace is ahead of it. Grace passed it on the racetrack. Grace went ahead. 
While you're sinning, God's churning up more and more grace to pour out for you. It doesn't mean that you're further away from God. It means that God's got more grace to bring you back. So instead of running headlong into that sin, or indulging in the depression that comes with that sin, or becoming less and less hopeful and more and more hopeless, remind yourself, God is producing more and more grace to bring you back. You're actually in the moment to be reclaimed and rescued by God in the midst of that situation. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. You might feel like, you know what? My sin rules over me. My thoughts, they rule over me. I don't have any hope. I don't have any hope of thinking differently. I don't have any hope of acting differently. I would just give up unless I would be embarrassed to give up. I don't give up because I would be embarrassed. I just keep doing Those are the thoughts that we give into. But this verse is telling you that grace is reigning over you so that you could confess that sin and be transformed. You are not lost. You are not beyond forgiveness. Your situation is not beyond hope. You are not helpless. God is producing more and more grace every single day for you. And it's going to lead you to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let me read Psalm 4 for you, okay? I don't have it up on the screen. Just listen to it. I'll try to include it in the notes, okay? Psalm 4 is one of those uh, questions that someone asks, and then Psalm 4 gives the answer. So let me read verse 6. Psalm 4, 6. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Psalm verse 6 is saying, God, is this it? Show me some good. This is it. This is all you've got for me. It's a wonderfully honest question. It's someone standing before God and like, I don't get it. Why isn't this getting better? I've done everything. God, why? And then the psalmist answers in verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than places where grain and wine abound. There's, you, you, ever, you ever been to that dinner party or you're hanging out with friends and the food and the wine is really good? I get to use this language because Psalm did, okay? So you're eating and drinking really, really good. It's the best beer or wine or bourbon you've ever had in your life. Blame the psalmist, not me. The steak, are you going to the Brazilian steakhouse? It's so good. Or for some of you, Taco Bell is fantastic today, whichever one the case may be. The party is fantastic. The food is good. You wake up with a little bit of a headache and you think that was a good night, right? You know what I'm talking about? If you haven't had it soon, I hope you get to have an experience like that within bounds soon. Psalm 4 says, hey, God, is this as good as it gets? And the answer is, God's got more joy for you than that kind of night. Remember that time you laughed so hard you cried? Psalm 4 says, God's got more joy for you than that. Remember that time someone gave you a hug and you felt just cared for? Psalm 4 says, God's got more joy for you than that. Remember that time you traveled from a long trip? All you wanted to do was to get in your bed, and when you slid in, it was the coldest bed you ever... It felt so... The sheets were clean. You know what I'm talking about? Clean sheets just feel better. You got in your bed, and you're like, thank God. God's got more joy for you than that. You remember when you witnessed your child being born? God's got more joy for you than that. Remember that time you got a raise? 
Remember the time you paid off a credit card? Remember the time you finally made it to vacation? Remember the time the popcorn didn't burn in the microwave? Whatever it is for you, Psalm 4 says, God's got more joy for you than that. You say, Gordon, I don't have that kind of joy. I would take a pop popcorn right now. I would take, that's all, I mean, that would be better than my situation right now. And here it is, my friends. We start from zero and say, God, I can't produce it in my life right now. No matter what I'm doing, I can't produce that kind of joy right now. I'm trying and I'm failing. And you say, Father, I read this verse and I'm supposed to be abounding in, bu- in abundance and grace and I don't have it right now. And all we can do is say this, I believe what you say, could you please give me that joy? That's all you can do. Father, I'm barely holding on to believing these verses. Barely. I so desperately want that kind of joy. Father, I'm sad all the time. Would you please give me that kind of joy? I'm going to offer two things as we get to the end. One, God still does this. He still gives that kind of joy. And it has nothing to do with our circumstances. Nothing. God still is in the business of delivering this kind of joy. Secondly, guess what happens when you get that kind of joy? The popcorn tastes better and the food tastes more sweet. You will enjoy this life more when you know that the greatest joy is not going to come from these earthly circumstances. But it's going to come from Jesus himself. Friends, I've run out of time, and I've got a lot. I keep doing this. It's been fantastic. God's just giving me things to say. I can't even get to all the things. Wonderful. I'm going to hit this stuff really quickly. Friends, if you're visiting, we end with a truth, application, and action. I want to speak to him briefly. I'll send them out in the notes. Uh, go ahead and jump to this. Here's our truth for the, the week. Christ leads you from a place of need and desperation to a state of grace and abundance. Right now, you are needy and desperate. Good. Because that's where God leads you to a state of grace and abundance. Application. Let's try this this week. Live knowing that no matter your circumstances, you are not cursed. You're not. But you're continually blessed of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are not cursed. You are not. No matter how difficult it is. Every moment of the day, Jesus is just pouring out blessing. You're going to hate this action. Action this week, reign in life. We just talked about how to do it. We did. We just talked about how to do it. How we do it is we bend our knee before God in solitude, and we say, I don't have it, but I believe it. Would you give me joy? And we don't ever leave that prayer. There's no level of theology or maturity beyond that. Every other measure of theology you learn is just going to help you understand that better. But we can't leave it. Father, I don't have it. I need it. I believe it. Will you give it to me? And that will be the step towards us reigning in life. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much more of these verses. We can't even get close to mining the depths of these verses. But the tiny bit we did look at, will you enable us to believe it? And will you give us the joy that we so desperately need? In Jesus' name.
Amen.